Well, hey, gang, um, thanks for joining this morning. Uh, for those of you who I don't know, and hopefully there's not a lot of you out there, uh, my name is Marty Garrity, and I'm the president of the Schmidt Mortgage Company. Uh, we operate under the name of Coast One Mortgage. So I want to thank everybody for your partnership and give you a little bit of background on, on what you're going to hear, um, not, not just from Barry. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about him in a minute, but why we organized this uh, video meeting for our agents. Several weeks ago, Mike, uh, myself, the state leaders, uh, Jason Rice, Felicia Hengel, Steve Carr, we, we were hearing a lot of questions from you on you know, what's going on in the marketplace, where is real estate going, what's happening with interest rates, when are these rates gonna stop rising, et cetera, et cetera, right? A lot of concerns out in the field. Um, so that's when I, I thought about inviting Barry to uh, chat with us. I've actually been very familiar with Barry for about 25 to 30 years um, when he actually was a consultant for an old employer of mine, Norwest Mortgage, and uh, he even did a secret shop around me as a, as a young loan officer. So um, I'll tell you a little bit about Barry, but uh, you know that's how this all came into play. Um, he is just an amazing, um, uh, amazing uh, person in the industry, both real estate and mortgage. Uh, so let me share a little bit about the background of Barry. And then he's going to talk for probably about an hour. And then after that, what I'd like everybody to do is stay on the, stay on the line. Uh, Mike Schmidt and myself want to have a little dialogue with you afterwards. So a little bit about Barry. First of all, he's a he's uh, got a best-selling book, number one Amazon best-selling book uh, by the name of Money in the Streets. He's often seen on CNBC as well as Fox News. Um, more recently, uh, our loan officers are very familiar with Barry because Barry is the CEO of a company called MBS Highway. And many of our agents probably are familiar with some of the tools that MBS Highway offers. For example, the cost of waiting when your buyers or sellers want to procrastinate on, on buying a house in this market or putting theirs on, on the market for sale. Um, Barry has been a three-time crystal ball winner uh, in 2017, 2019, and 2020 with Zillow and Pulsenomics for the most accurate real estate forecast out of about 150 economists. Um, he has been a finalist with Ernest & Young in their prestigious Entrepreneur, Entrepreneur of the Year Award. Um, he's got talent outside the real estate and mortgage business. In fact, uh, he is a lead producer and managing partner uh, for Rock of Ages, which is the 27th longest running show in Broadway history. So with no further ado, let me turn the call over to the highest rated speaker and trainer for the last 25 years in real estate and mortgage. So Barry, it's all yours. Thank you so much, Marty. Uh, appreciate everyone here. Thank you, Mike. Thanks to all of you for being on with, uh, with me today. I really understand how valuable and precious your time is. So uh, I'm gonna do the very best I can to make sure we make this worth your while. Uh, first of all, I, just like you in sales, um, mortgage business for a long time as an originator and company owner did over $2 billion in personal production. So you know, boots on the ground experience. But I also know that we are easily gonna be pinged and emails are going and you know, this thing's gonna be going off all the time, right? So uh, what I'm gonna ask you to do is just focus if you can intently, because we're gonna go over a lot of things that are gonna answer questions for your customers. Um, it's gonna address a lot of their concerns. It's gonna discuss a lot of the things you see in the media. And we're gonna specifically talk about things like what's happening with interest rates, which are very important, what's driving them. When are they gonna come back down? How high will they go up? So we're gonna talk about that because these are questions your customer has. And how about all the media talk about this housing bubble that people are trying to beat the drum on? And let's understand the basics of housing. So your customer may be fearful, may think maybe I should rent, maybe I should wait a few months or, Maybe I shouldn't buy a home at all because this could be a time where housing prices are going to crash similar to what we saw back in 2009. So we're going to address all those things, but a lot of it's building blocks. So just focus with me. I promise this is going to be worth your while. We're going to go quick. So I want you to stay intently tuned. 
So start with a couple of important things conceptually, okay? So uh, the first thing is, if we're talking about mortgage rates, what drives mortgage rates? Is it the Fed? A lot of people think it's the Fed. Uh, people don't really understand what drives mortgage rates. There's one important factor that drives mortgage rates, and that's inflation. So before we understand you know, how inflation affects it, let's understand why mortgage rates are going to be so in tune with inflation. See, we all know inflation makes things cost more. So instead of the lens of someone borrowing a mortgage, make believe for a minute that you're lending mortgages. That's what you do. It's your money or a fund that you manage and you're the one issuing mortgages. Let's say you gave me a mortgage and say just for simple number, it's a $400,000 mortgage and I give you a check every month for 2000 bucks every month. Now, that's for a long time. It's a 30-year mortgage and I pay it on time, no problem. You take that check for $2,000 and you go out and you purchase a shopping list of goods and services. Next month you get the check, you get that exact same shopping list. But over time, what you discover is that, wait a second, I can't get everything on my list. Why? Well, because inflation's causing prices to rise, so you gotta leave some stuff off the list. What's happening is your buying power, as someone lending money, is eroding over time because of inflation. Now, when inflation was very low a little over a year ago, when it was actually about one and a half percent or even below that, that erosion was very small. But today, the rate of inflation is 9.1%, highest we've had in over 40 years. So this is clearly an issue. Everybody's feeling the pain, everybody's talking about it. But now as an investor, what you're seeing happen is your buying power is eroding a lot more rapidly. Now you can't do anything about the loan you gave me, that's already done. But on the future loans that you're gonna be doing, you're gonna say, hey, wait a minute, I have to protect myself from this more rapid rate of erosion in my buying power. There's only one way you can do it. The only way you could do it is by charging a higher interest rate so you could be at a higher perch. So maybe on the next $400,000 mortgage, instead of getting $2,000 a month, you're getting $2,400, $2,500 a month. And that offsets the more rapid rate of erosion of your buying power because inflation is making things cost more. So let's start with that because that's an important building block. Now, what is inflation after all? So here's the definition of inflation. It's too many dollars chasing too few goods. Now you see that happening right before your eyes in the real estate market. There's too many buyers, which represent too many dollars and too little inventory. So what you've seen happen is prices are inflating. Prices are going up. Now we know that we have a goods issue. COVID caused some problems, but most recently the COVID lockdown in Shanghai, China caused a pretty big concern. And here's why. See, Shanghai is the largest city and port in the world. New York's pretty big, and that's, that's 8 million people. Shanghai, that's 26 million people. So, you know when you watch on the highway and you see one of those big tractor trailers with that big, they call it a container, full of goods that they're shipping? One big one has a lot of stuff. Well, there's about 10 or 12,000 of those containers that go on a container ship. And there is about 1,000 of those container ships that are stuck outside of Shanghai. So you can imagine the flow of goods being jammed up. And when there's not enough goods, it causes prices to go up, right? Now we think by the fall, this starts to alleviate itself as that shutdown kind of stops locking things up and we start to see the flow of goods. So we think things get better by the fourth quarter on the goods side. Now, what about the too many dollars part? Well, here's where the Fed comes in. What the Fed wants to try and do is cause something called demand destruction. In other words, less demand. So less dollars. How do they do that? When they raise short-term interest rates, like the Fed funds rate, that's the only thing they can control, and it was at zero. They've gone through three hikes now, and they've taken it up to 1.5%. But it's very likely the 27th of this month, you'll see at least another three quarters, maybe a full 1% hike to slow things down. So what does that do? It increases car loan borrowing costs, home equity loans, credit cards, personal loans, but the big one is the commercial and industrial loans because they're all based on the Fed funds rate. And that's that, you know, like $300 million expansion or acquisition or buy a factory or build a factory. All those are based upon these short-term rates. And if the Fed goes from zero to three or 4%, well, now your borrowing costs get way out of whack. And so you borrow less. By borrowing less, 
less dollars. What's inflation? Too many dollars chasing too few goods. So the Fed's trying to make less dollars. It also gives you an incentive to save. Remember when you used to go to the bank and you used to get like 0.01% for your savings, right? Wasn't a lot of fun. But what's proven is that you, as human beings, it is proven. If interest rates are below 2% that we receive for saving money, we tend not to save and we tend to look for riskier things or spend it. Once you get above 2% for a savings rate, people's minds switch and they start to see a return and they start to save more money. So we get a savings rate to three or 4% by the end of this year. Well, now what the Fed will do is, remember, inflation is too many dollars chasing too few goods. They take more dollars out because instead of people spending it, they would save it. So that's what the Fed's trying to do. So believe it or not, by the Fed hiking rates, mortgage rates come down. We've seen that. When the Fed hiked last at on June 15th of last month, mortgage rates have since come down. So people who are inexperienced and don't know, and the vast majority of the media is under this category, they think, oh, the Fed hikes rates, so mortgage rates go up. It's the exact opposite. And there's proof of this. Most recently, a big one was with Alan Greenspan when he was the Fed chair to fight inflation, raise 2% on the Fed funds rate in a year. Mortgage rates came down 3%. How about this one? Paul Volcker, when he was our Fed chair back in the 80s, he had to get inflation under control because it was crazy. He raised the Fed funds rate from eight and a half to 20%. So an 11 and a half percent raise. He did it in six months, but mortgage rates came down 6% during that time. So Fed funds rate up. If it's perceived that it's gonna fight inflation, mortgage rates come down. So mortgage rates and inflation and the Fed, this is where I wanted to start with, because if we understand this, now we know where we can go with our future and how we can understand where rates are going and how that affects interest, uh, um, real estate values. So. I'm going to start here by sharing my screen and we're going to pull this up here so that you can all see it. And we're going to talk about rates and real estate and recession, because that's a big one. How does re recession affect all these things? Well, we got to change our thinking a little folks, because the last couple of years have been interesting, crazy real estate market. But if we want to address some of the concerns that are happening now, we just have to think a little bit differently. So the first thing I hear in the media a lot is that the purchase market is down significantly. Well, it depends on where you're comparing it to. If you recall, this is showing you how many purchase transactions there are. If you recall during COVID, we had a big shutdown. So look at how activity got shut down and stopped. This was a pretty big hole. There was a makeup period after that. So 2020 shutdown, 2021 big makeup period, so this was extraordinarily low to make up extraordinarily high. So if you're looking where we are today and you say, okay, well, let's compare it to a year ago during that makeup period, it looks as if we're down clearly, but that's an abnormal comparison. If you compare this to any time in 2020, very favorable to all of 2019 or 2018, it's better than it was for most of 2017. It's better. Better than 2016, 15, 14, 13, 12, 10. Where we are now is a really good level of purchase activity. So this is what the media tries to do. The media doesn't care about the truth. The media simply cares about fear because that gets eyeballs and that means they could charge more for advertising. Now we talked about inflation driving mortgage rates and here's a chart that shows it. So let's look for the last 50 plus years. The white line is inflation. The blue line is 30 year fixed rate mortgages. So notice when inflation spiked higher, there's a delay, but then mortgage rates move up. When inflation comes down, mortgage rates actually initially went up a little bit, but then there's that delay and mortgage rates follow suit. And notice how this pattern happens again, 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 again. And here we are, inflation's rocketed higher. That made the move first, a little bit of a delay, and mortgage rates are simply following suit, going from somewhere around two and three quarter percent to now about five and a half to five and three quarters percent. So these are all occurring right now. So if we wanna know where are mortgage rates gonna go? Well, where's inflation going? When are mortgage rates gonna come down? When's inflation coming down? So let's examine that. So here's the latest data. Now, don't worry about this chart. I'm gonna break it down and it's gonna be very understandable. This gives us a lot of information about inflation. 
So one of the ways we measure inflation is called the Consumer Price Index. And we just got the release this morning. So the Consumer Price Index, what happens is it measures year-over-year -year inflation. So the way that it does it is it takes the most recent 12 months of data. So today, we got the data for the month of June. So you go June all the way to July of 2021. So you take these 12 months here, you add them together, a little rounding, a little compounding, and you get the current rate of inflation, which right now is at 9.1%, the highest that many people have seen in their lifetime, certainly in their adult lifetime. So when this occurs, and we want to take a look at when will inflation come down, we start to look at the data that's going to come out next month. So as you could see, for the month of July alone, inflation was up 1.3%. Now, there were many years where inflation didn't go up 1.3% a year. But look at how hot it's been since the spring. As we get into the summer months, my fear is that you're going to be replacing numbers that are pretty modest for 2021. So when the 2022 numbers come in, if they're even remotely as hot as we have seen here, you're going to wind up with higher inflation numbers over the summer. And get this, all the headlines will be inflation 10% year over year. I think that is very realistic that we see that. Now, don't believe all these folks that come on TV and they say, oh, we think inflation's peaked, inflation's peaked. You know why? Because they don't understand it. They're not looking at this. If they would look into the future a little bit and they see what we're going to be up against replacing, they will understand that there's a really good possibility, maybe probability, that we see 10% year-over-year inflation. Now, from what we know, that means mortgage rates probably start to move up even further over the summer months. So I just want to brace you for that. But it's not all bad news. It's actually really good news. Here comes the good news. Once we get to the fall and the fourth quarter, a lot of things will fall into place. Remember, we talked about goods coming back. So that should alleviate inflation. In addition to that, the comparisons to 2021 are higher. So we should start to see our inflation come down. The comparisons are, are now higher. So we probably will see the year-over-year -year numbers come down just based on those two things. But there's another thing. The Fed hikes will really start to bite by then. So as the Fed hikes again in a couple of weeks, and then again in September, probably bringing the Fed funds rate to about 3%, now people will have more of an incentive to save People will borrow less. The economy will slow down. And if we're not already in a recession, we more than likely will be in a recession by the second half of this year. Now, I'm going to explain what that means. But first off, we're about the, we were the first to call our previous recession. Everybody thought we were crazy. But we look at a lot of metrics. And I'm going to show you some here to explain to you why we think that you know, we, we were the first to call for this recession. It's documented. I was on TV back in July of last year saying that we see a recession in 2022 in the second half of 2022 and everybody thought it was nuts people debated me and then again uh we, we mentioned it all through last year and early this year that we see a recession everybody said there's no probability this that now it seems like everybody's jumped on our bandwagon and seeing a recession let's understand one of the metrics that you can count on and that's the fed when the fed hikes in a cycle like they're doing now we almost always see a recession and as you can see here let's go back 70 years fed goes through a hiking cycle and you see this dark area all these dark areas are recessions they hike us right into a recession then they've got to start cutting again 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 now here we've stalled off we had a series of rate hikes we didn't get a recession for a while why well because you had something called the internet which created a lot of commerce but sure enough we did get that recession and here again here's the last recession and here's where we are now and folks, we're going to, for sure, be hiked into another recession. In fact, one of the definitions of recession, the main definition, the real one is the National Bureau of Economic Research. They're like the umpire. They say, okay, you're in a recession. It started here, it ended here. They're the umpires. But a good rule of thumb is when you get two quarters that our gross domestic product is a negative number. Now, it already happened in the first quarter. It was already minus 1.6%. So if it happens again in the second quarter, that would be a rule of thumb recession. The Atlanta Fed came out with their estimate just last week, and they are forecasting that the second quarter of 2022 is minus 1%.
So that would constitute a rule of thumb recession that we're already in. So we'll see how that pans out. Now, a big argument against the recession is the fact that people say, hey, well, how can you have a recession? I heard, you know, I had three people, I saw this on CNBC yesterday, three people, they come on, say, how can you have a recession? The unemployment rate's so low. Well, here's a newsflash. That's exactly when you get a recession. You don't get a recession when the unemployment rate's high, you get it when it's low. Let me show you over the last 100 years how with 100% accuracy, recessions occur, not when unemployment rate's high, but when the unemployment rate reaches its lowest level and then starts to turn higher, you get a recession. Lowest level, start to turn higher, recession. Again, 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 100% accurate every single time. Now, here's where we are now. Clearly not near the high, probably near the low. And you know, the unemployment rate right now is 3.6%. So last Friday, we got the unemployment numbers that stayed at 3.6%, but it would have gotten worse. It would have gotten worse. The only reason it didn't get worse is because people left the labor force. So it stayed the same, but for the wrong reasons. It was not because more people were getting jobs. It was because people were leaving the labor force. Now, why does this phenomenon occur when the unemployment rate reaches its lowest level and starts to take heart? Why do we get a recession afterwards? Well, think about it logically. When everything's good, you're hiring people, right? Yeah, come on, I need more help, I need more help. So the unemployment rate goes down, 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 down. Once businesses start to feel a slowdown, unfortunately, the first thing they have to do is let people go. So those people that get let go, they join the unemployed ranks and you get that tick higher in the unemployment rate. But now those newly unemployed change their spending habits. So they buy less, they shop less, they go out to dinner less. And the businesses that used to count on their business experience that slowdown. So what do they do? They let people go. And the cycle perpetuates itself, which is why the unemployment rate shoots up so quickly once you get into a recession. So it's important to understand. Okay, so let's say you believe me and you think we're gonna be heading into a recession. Okay, so what does that mean for you? What does it mean for, first of all, for mortgage rates? And then what does it mean for real estate? So for mortgage rates, mortgage rates like recessionary periods, Let's take a look at the last recession. Mortgage rates dropped 1%, but then they dropped further afterwards. Here, they dropped one and an eighth and a lot more afterwards. Here, they dropped about 1% and a lot more afterwards. Here, two and a quarter and a lot more afterwards. Here, 5% and a lot more after that. Here, four and a quarter percent. So I think you get the picture that recessionary periods mean lower mortgage rates. So we see lower inflation in the fourth quarter. We see a recession by then. So we think that mortgage rates get back under 5% towards the end of this year. And look, let's face it, everybody, in an environment where mortgage rates are in the mid fours, you guys can kick ass in that environment, right? I mean, you don't have to, you don't have to have a 3% mortgage rate. A rate in the 4% range, those of you that have been in the business for a long time, you know, man, we would have begged for a 4% handle on interest rates, right? So the news on interest rates is good, but it's gonna take just a little bit of time to get there. So a little bit of heartburn, folks, in between, but then there's great opportunity. What you could be telling your customers is that, hey, look, if you get a higher rate now, you can always refinance and probably within the next 12 months, there'll be a great opportunity to do so at lower rates. So buy the home of your dream now. It's your forever home, not your forever loan. So what we should take a look at is what is the media gonna say when they start to see that a recession is clearly here? They say, oh, don't buy real estate. The market's bad. It's gonna be terrible for real estate. Well, let's look at the facts. So here you see the last nine recessions. So this spans over 60 years worth of data. There's been nine recessions. And I want you to notice this. In almost every case, eight out of nine, home prices, according to the best indicator there is, the Case-Shiller Home Price Index, not only did well during the recession, they went up and went up afterwards again, 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 again. And the most recent one as well. Now there was one time where we saw home prices do poorly during recession. But if you look at the timing of it, it wasn't the recession that led us into the housing bubble. There was a housing bubble that led us into the recession. And there's a big difference there. So what caused the housing bubble? Well, housing bubble, just like everything else, prices go up or down based upon demand and supply. That's a real key. Now, most of us learned that in high school or college in economics. That's the number one rule of economics is prices are determined by supply and demand. So what happened during the housing bubble? 
Yes, I know. We got crazy on mortgages. We don't have that today. We don't have 585 FICO scores, zero down, investment property, no income, no asset, no job. Here, take this mirror. You're approved. We don't have that anymore, okay? Loans are, are really high quality now, and they're performing extraordinarily well. So that's a big difference between the two periods of time. But the very big difference that people fail to understand is the supply and demand. Now, in 2006, builders built more homes than they ever have in the history of the United States, over 2 million homes. That's the supply side. So they put a lot of supply on the market. What about demand? You measure demand in housing by something called household formations. See, you don't want to measure it by somebody who's selling a home and buying a home because they're not taking up inventory. They're creating inventory with the sell of their home, but they're taking apart, taking away inventory by the buy their home. So that's neutral. Now they create activity, which is great. And we love that. But as far as supply and demand, that's neutral. You measure it by something called a household formation. So what's a household formation? Here's an easy example. Imagine a couple that's living together under one home. And now they decide to split up. So they're not selling the home. They're not vacating the home. One person's staying behind, but now one person's going out and occupying a new home. So they need two roofs over the head where before they needed one. Or let's just say there's somebody living with parents and they move out. The parents stay in that place, so they're not vacating. And now they're occupying a new one. These are called household formations. In 2006, the amount of household formations was extraordinarily low, less than a million. And over 2 million homes built. That started the imbalance. The same thing happened in 07 and 08 by 09, full-blown housing bubble. So why did household formations drop so much in 2006? There's an interesting explanation. The median age of a first-time home buyer in 2006, and right now too, was 33 years old. So when were they born? Well, some quick math, 2006 minus 33 years, they were born in 1973. If you look at birth rates, in 1973, they dropped dramatically, which explains why you had much fewer people coming to buy homes in 2006, 33 years later. Why did birth rates drop so much? 1973 was the year abortions were legalized. So isn't it interesting how understanding demographics and how they work can help you read and understand the housing market? Now, the media does not do a good job on this, and kind of the poster child for bad information for the past 10 years is Diana Olick who even today was manipulating and spewing bad information about the housing market. We talked about it in our update that we did this morning. Now she's been perfect, perfectly wrong about housing for the past 10 years and trying to strike fear in people's hearts. And unfortunately our customers listen to this and that makes our job a lot more difficult to really serve them and help them see the opportunity. So when your customer says to you, I'm hearing a lot of stuff, is there a housing bubble? There's nothing new about that in the media. They've been saying it for 10 years with hundreds and hundreds of stories. I'm gonna just pick out a handful out of the hundreds that you could pull up yourself to show your customer that let's take what the media says with a grain of salt. So back in 2015, seven years ago, she said, we're in a housing bubble. It's larger than the 2006 housing bubble. Well, if you were scared out of buying a home, you missed out on $15,000 appreciation that year alone, or 5.1%. Well, so she was wrong about that. Did she admit she was wrong? No, she said the next year, hey, we're in a new housing bubble. New housing bubble. Well, people who were afraid missed out on another 5.4% or $17,000 appreciation. So in 2017, she said, well, you know what? Homeownership doesn't build wealth anyway. Oh, really? You show me the one person who didn't build wealth over the past five years buying a home. Uh, and now she talks about that, but home values in that one year alone went up another 6.1% or on that home would have been another 20,000 bucks. And then she talks about this. Half of the housing market is overvalued. Really, Diana? She's been saying that since 2017. In 2018, she said, oh, it's better to rent than buy a home. Show me the one person who over the last four years was better off renting than buying a home. Show me one. And then you have you missed out in 2018 and another 14,000 or 4.1%. So in the middle of 2019, she says, ah, oh, housing market's about to shift in a bad way for buyers. I guess it's a bad way if you didn't buy a home because it went up another 4% in those six months for another $15,000. So her forecast for 2020 was this, next year will be hard on the housing market. Oh, really, Diana? Missed out on 16% appreciation of $61,000. So a year ago to the day, 
Diana Olick says that the housing boom is over. Really, Diana? Well, I guess you missed out on another 18% or $80,000 in appreciation. So listen, folks, we can't take what the media says and we have to explain this to our customers. So let's go by the facts because we know this. We know the housing market's slowing. We are not gonna see 20% appreciation. It'll be much less, but there's a big difference between a slowing in appreciation and home prices going down or crashing or a bubble. How do we measure this? I told you, you measure the demand with household formations. In the United States today, we are forming 1.42 million households. Okay, that's what we're doing right now. This is the latest numbers. So that's the demand. How about supply? Well, supply comes from builders, but a lot of people make the mistake and they look at housing starts. Housing starts, you put a shovel in the ground. I can't live in that. So go by completions. So completions are 1.45 million. But did you know, because the media doesn't, that about 100,000 homes every year get destroyed. Nope, they get rebuilt, they get retired, they age. So there's a net of 1.35 million homes, but we need more than 1.4 million. So we're short, we're still building 50,000 homes less than what we need right now, folks. So I want to explain to you where inventory is coming from on the market in a minute, but I want you to first understand overall, not only do we have a shortage in real estate, and remember prices are demand and supply. So we're not only short supply, but we're still not building enough to meet the new demand that continues to happen. Because remember every year, it's new demand that comes. You know, you mentioned that I had that show on Broadway, uh, Rock of Ages, and I have Chris Angel in, in Vegas. And when I created those shows, it was especially with Rock of Ages, as I was new to it, I would look at other shows. Not if you don't, know if you've ever seen Wicked. And Wicked, that show just prints money. But quite frankly, I was like frustrated because our show was so much better than Wicked. And I would turn around to one of my partners and I said, I don't get it. I said, we're doing fine, but how is Wicked making all this money when our show is so much better? And he put his hand on my shoulder. He had a lot of experience. And he said, Barry, that's because every year, a new crop of 14 year old girls tell mom and dad, I got to see that show. And that made sense to me. And that's exactly what you got to look at with the housing market. Every year, a new crop of 33 year olds comes to the market. So we look at birth rates from 33 years ago and guess what? They were accelerating. So there's going to be more and more people that need homes. Now people will take a look at the inventory level and they'll say, oh, well, it is built a little bit. It's up to 1.16 million units. Maybe there's a housing bubble. Well, not so fast. This is a housing bubble. Back in 2007, there were 3.8 million units for sale. Today, 1.1 million units for sale. So about 3 million fewer units, but wait, guess what? We've got 14 million more households in the United States than we did back in 2007. So 14 million more households competing for 3 million fewer homes. Hard to see a crash. Now, Barry, what about all this inventory that's coming on the market? Everybody's making a lot to do about this inventory. And man, you're right. Inventory has gone from about 900,000 units up to 1.1 million units. Wow, maybe there really is something to this, right? Except that nobody bothers to look at history because it does this every single year since the beginning of time. Why? Remember when you were a kid in school and a new kid came in, but in the middle of the school year, had a hard time. Kids are tough on one another. So parents are cognizant of that. Hey, I want my kid to start at the beginning of the school year, gives them a better chance to assimilate and make friendships early on. Makes sense. But that means I have to close on my home no later than August, sometime in August, maybe even July, maybe June, which means I have to put my home up for sale in April, May, or June, or the latest July to get there. That's why it's called the spring home buying season. Not because there's a flower out there, not because the temperature's warmer, it's because that's when people need to put their home up on the market so they can close on time to get their kid to start at the beginning of the school year. This is a natural phenomenon. It crests every year in the middle of the year. And I anticipate this to actually go up a little more because this is May's data. I expect June and July to be a little bit higher, but then eventually crest and come down. Now, even with that, remember I told you there's 1.16 million units in inventory, right? <laughs> there's more to the story. There's always more to the story and that's what the media fails to do. And this is what we have to do as experts and advisors to explain to our customers. Because while there is 1.16 million units in inventory, it's very important to note that they say that this represents a very low rate of supply. It's only 2.2 months supply. But you know what's included in here? Homes under contract, 
Now, as a real estate agent, are you going to say to your customer, oh, I want you to see this lovely home. They're closing next week. They've got the mortgage in place, but let's go take a look at it for giggles anyway. Of course, you're not going to do that. But yet it's counted as inventory because it hasn't closed. When you remove those under contract, and there is an extraordinary amount under contract, typically there's about 25% under contract, but the market's so strong, 55% of homes are under contract. It leaves a minuscule 516,000 homes available to buy. This is why you're having such a hard time. This is why 52% of homes are bid over asking price. And this is why it's very difficult to see a severe drop in prices like people are forecasting. And this shows you active listings. Look at where we've been for the past six or seven years. You could see inventory is much lower. 25% under contract historically, now 55% under contract. And every year you get that move up. Now a little bit of distortion here because of COVID, but you still get those bumps. But yes, this is a more normal market that you're seeing right now. So this should move up, but then crest and come back down. <clears throat> now, vacancy, all-time low vacancy. Why is vacancy important? Well, when there's high vacancy, like you had in 2007 here, here's what happens. You say, you know what? I'm carrying two mortgages. I'm carrying two sets of maintenance. I'm carrying two sets of taxes, insurance, electric. I got to mow the grass still. Give me a lower offer. I'll take it because it's cost me five or six thousand bucks a month. So if you gave me twenty thousand less, I might be able to justify to myself that's only three months of carrying costs. I'll just dump the thing. You don't have that today. So there's no impetus to dump the home. Okay, here's the big one. Everybody talks about affordability. And they're right. It's a lot less affordable. The problem is they don't tell you the whole story. So let's do it right, folks. This is an important one for us to understand. If you were to buy a home in 2021, and let's say you needed a mortgage of $400,000 and the rate was three and a half percent, here's your payment. To qualify for that, you'd have two income earners earning you know, four to $5,000 a month apiece. So $9,000 was the household income. Okay, now this year, there's been 18% appreciation. So you gotta borrow 18% more. So now my mortgage for the same home that I would have bought last year, I'd have to borrow instead of 400, 472. And whoa, guess what? Mortgage rates went from three and a half. Well, the latest is about five and three quarters, but I'm going to even make it worse and say 6%. Okay. Now, 6% gives me this payment, $1,034 a month more. And this is what the media is ramming down people's throats. But what they don't tell you is that incomes have gone up 8%. Now, somebody might say, well, wait a minute. Didn't I see the median income go up 6%? You're right. Except that you strip out the bottom quartile of earners. Why? Because that 16 year old in the fast food restaurant, bless their soul, making 10 bucks an hour, who's working hard, God willing, one day they will be a home buyer. But those folks today are not your home buyers. So when you remove the non home buyers out of the equation, incomes are going up between eight and 9%. So I just took the lower end at 8%, which means that this year, that household is making 720 bucks a month more, which greatly offsets this. Now look, we know gas has gone up. I just got the latest numbers of what the change is year over year, gas, food, services. So it's really costing 1300 bucks a month more. That's a heavy burden. And that's why you've seen the slowdown, but incomes have mitigated that to a great extent. But here's the thing we all have to think about. Let's look forward a year from now, when you get another increase, it will have offset completely the difference that you see here. So what does it mean for your customers? Well, maybe there's a little bit of a more difficult time, certainly for some, but by next year, mortgage rates will come down and incomes will go up again and you will have alleviated this change. So this is a temporary pain point that we're seeing that will be alleviated next year. What's our housing forecast? Well, first let's look at rents because they're going up 14% a year and 8% on renewals. And that's the point you got to bring home to your customer. That's 8% every single year that you're going to get hit for it. We see home prices mid to high single digit appreciation this year, but then continuing in the mid single digits. Now, is that bad? What if you only got 4%? Is your customer going to say, oh man, 4%, that's not worth buying a home, 4% appreciate. Folks, this is a real important mathematical calculation. I want you to all pay attention to, maybe write it down. This is really important. Let's use an example. I know that you can't get a $100,000 home, but this just makes the numbers easy. Obviously, it's twice the amount for 200 or three times the amount for 300, but $100,000 home, if you put 10% down, that's a $10,000 investment. That's your investment in the home, 10,000 bucks. So what if values only go up 4%? 
Well, 4% appreciation on a $100,000 home is a $4,000 profit. So if you're making a $4,000 profit on a $10,000 investment, does anybody know what your rate of return is on that? It's 40%. See folks, real estate creates wealth for a reason. It's because you get this. Now, most people don't understand why it creates wealth, but this is why it creates wealth. And this is why you're seeing all of these properties being purchased and done as rentals because the rents are going up. It's a great idea. And people are making even at 4%, a huge rate of return on their investment. Let's remember that. Now, I want to use an extreme example here because somebody might say, hey, look, you know, uh, maybe I should rent, right? Rates have gone up. Maybe I should rent. It's going to cost me more to buy. Natural for people to say that. But how do you and I combat that? How do we we explain to people that there's an opportunity? Well, one of the things that your teammates could do is they can give you an opportunity to take a loan that even if the customer doesn't qualify, that they don't qualify for standard, they could do what's called a non-QM loan. And, and I think that this, this is, is, is a really good idea for us to explore because look, if you can get a good rate out there in the mid fives, great. But what if you can only get a rate of seven and a half percent? I just want to be extreme here and two points. Oh, I'm not going to pay that. No way. I'll rent, right? Well, let's use an example. $400,000 home, 10% down to 360 mortgage with a seven and a half percent rate in two points. Let's look at what appreciation would be. In this market that we're seeing today, uh, we have a forecasted rate of appreciation over the next nine years, because they say they're going to be there for nine years, of about 4.49%. That's pretty close to the 63-year historical average of roughly 4.2%. Now, let's go with all the negatives here. The bad parts of buying versus renting. Well, property taxes go up, maybe not every year, but on average, you can expect about 2%. And repair costs, I don't have that as a renter. So on a $400,000 home, might be 2000 bucks a year. Not every year, but you know that breaks down to about a 166 a month average. So that's a negative. And what about the cost to sell the home? You don't have that as a renter, but there's cost to sell the home. So let's say on the appreciated value, 6%. Okay, now how about renting? Well, we can compare this out and to rent this home, it's 2750 a month. Now, we know across the United States, rents are going up at 8%, but let's just say this market rents are not going up as quickly, only 6%. So this seems like a good deal, but is it? If you were to buy the home, your monthly payment would be 3,500 a month, renting at 2,700 a month. So man, there's 800 bucks a month more to buy. Forget it, I'm gonna rent. But look at the rental line, the purple line. Eventually it catches up and then eclipses the cost of home ownership over the nine years. And that doesn't account for the fact that what if I refinance next year or the year after or the year after to a lower rate? This is cost, this is a seven and a half percent rate. And then, and remember, we've taken into consideration repair costs, taxes going up, all that stuff. So the cash flow is about even, except a big thing that many people fail to recognize. You know your mortgage is made up of principal and interest. And I think you all know that the interest goes to the lender. But can you all tell me where does the principal go? Whose money is that? It's your own money. Now, look, if I took my cash out of my left-hand pocket and I put it into my right-hand pocket, is it still my money? Do I still have it? Yeah, but it's in a different location. When you pay the principal portion of your mortgage, it's still your money, but instead of it being in your checking account, it's in equity in the home. Still your money in a different location. So when you account for that, which most people don't, and it boggles my mind because it's so much money, that's $41,000 that people just forget to mention. They'll break your chops over a $500 thing, but 41,000, eh, don't even think about that. Now, what about appreciation? Well, appreciation can't be that much, right? It was only 4.49%. doesn't seem like a lot. And this is why we have to show people because it's very difficult for people to comprehend the magic of compound interest because that's $194,000. Now you get a little tax benefit too, but let's take into consideration the cost to sell at the appreciated value of 593, 6%, so it's $35,000 cost. So is it better to rent or is it better to buy? Well, over the nine years, even if you don't refinance, you're better by $205,000. $205,000. Uh, what if it's only there for six years? Well, that's 93,000. How about three years? 15,000. 
But the truth is, in this extreme circumstance, where you'd be paying 7.5% with a lot of closing costs and two points, you're probably better off renting for the first couple of years if you were going to move. But if you're going to live in this home for longer than two years, well, you should definitely be buying the home. Now, you make up the difference a lot faster if the rents would go up a normal level, if you're not paying seven and a half, but if you're paying five and a half or five and three, if you're not paying the two points, you'd make that up very, very quickly. But even in this extreme circumstance, we want to make it as ugly as possible. It still looks great to buy the home. And your Coast One professional can do this with you very easily. And they could co-brand this with you in this beautiful report that your customer loves. Text it to your customer, send it to them, email it to them. It's wonderful. Now, when you go out on your next listing, don't do it without asking your Coast One mortgage professional to do something very important for you. Because in about three seconds worth of time, they can give you an AVM, an automated valuation model, an appraisal on the home that's done technologically. So what they could do is very quickly pull this up for you and show you all the surrounding homes, what they're going for and what they're valued at, show you what this home would be valued at so you could bring your customer down to earth and show them what it would appraise for. Because let's face it, you need to be able to understand that number because if the buyer comes in, they're only going to put 5% down, it needs to appraise so they can get the mortgage. I'm sure you've experienced some pain points on that. And plus, here's what we'll also do for you. Coast One Mortgage Professional will pull this report up, which has all the comps. So that does a lot of your work for you, makes your life a lot easier, and then gives you statistics so you could bring this professional report in front of your customer where you could show them the median sales price, what the cost per square foot has been doing, how many homes they can expect to see sold in this market, all things that will help you as a realtor shine above your competition and win those listings compared to somebody else, but not just win them, win them at a better price. Okay, so we know 52% of homes are bid over asking price. That's not an easy one to deal with. So here's one that I just did live when I was in Tampa speaking last week, and this was fun to do because we had a realtor who gave us a listing and that listing was at 819,000. All they did was give us the MLS number and your Coast One mortgage professional could do this for you. Just give them the MLS number and whatever the zip code is, because this is all done by zip code, appreciation in different zip codes, we know what the history of the property is, what the value is, and the asking price. So it was about 819 for the asking price and the value came in close. But in order to win the bid, the realtor said, customer had to go 30,000 above asking price to win the bid. So they essentially had to pay 850 for a home that's worth 820. And as you can imagine, the customer's feeling a little bit shy about that. That's, you know, who wants to pay $30,000, right? So I don't know, I'm hearing all this stuff in the media, this and that. Well, the questions that we need to make sure we explain to our customer, and even if they don't answer, ask them, we have to tell them to ask these questions is question number one, how long will it take for me to break even? And we can give you that, Coast One can give you that in a second. Literally, it takes six months to break even. Wow, how come it's so quick? Well, that's because people don't do the math. 30,000 bid over asking price is only 3.7% appreciation. And this market is appreciating at about 7.5% per year right now. So it's six months. And by the way, you're going to take two months to close. That means four months after you're in the home, you're going to be break even. Wow, that's not so bad. But what's the future hold, Barry? Well, we do that too. Over the next five years, every year is different with the forecasted appreciation, but the average for the next five years is 4.93%. Now, it's really hard for your customer to calculate. It's hard for you and I in our heads to calculate 4.93%. How much does that mean in appreciation compounded over five years, which is why we do it for you so you can show your customer that that's $223,000. And now the light bulb goes off in your customer's head. That's, wow, I've got to do that. But wait a second, Barry, 4.93, is that in line with expectations from history? Well, over the last 63 years, you've averaged 4.32. So yeah, I'd say that's pretty close to in line with expectation. And this beautiful report could be in the hands of your customer from Coast One in less than five seconds. As Albert Einstein said, compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. Now, you did mention, Marty, you did mention the cost of waiting, and I'm glad you did because this is such a powerful tool. So your customer, by the time they got home and decided they're going to bid on it, ugh, the property was gone. I'm sure that's happened to you. Or they got outbid by somebody, heartbreaking for them. Or they looked for three or four weekends and they said, oh, you know what, maybe I'll come back because I can't find anything. People can get discouraged. So how do we work with people that are getting discouraged? 
here's what you do. You ask Marty or his teammates to bring you to the cost of waiting analysis, which takes them literally seconds to do. And you can see in this particular market or whatever the market is, we have the actual appreciation for the next six months and one year, two years, three years. So what we can show that customer is if you waited six months only, you're going to lose 17,000 in appreciation, 2,600 in amortization for a total of $20,000 lost. And your monthly payment, because you got to borrow more, even if rates stay the same, it's going to go up 150 bucks a month, every month. You sure you don't want to keep looking or maybe bid an extra $10,000 and now win the home of your dreams. This report can help co-brand it together. It is something your customer needs and wants. Just give them what they need. Folks, this one is a no-brainer. It takes two seconds to pull up. Marty and his team could do this everywhere in the country, everywhere. And what they can do is in literally in seconds with either an MLS number or zip code, give you a real estate report card. Then you can text it or email it to your customer while you're talking to them on the phone and show them how it stacks up, what the historical snapshots of appreciation are, what we are forecasting, how much the value of the home will change, what's inventory look like, the change in inventory, age demographic population, how many renters, how many homes we need in inventory to accommodate the household formations of first time home buyers, how many homes, because we got the builder permits, will be built. And as you can see, there's a shortage here. The job picture, look at how strong the job market is, incomes, unemployment, and affordability. These are all things your customer wants, and it's something that is really important for you to be able to do. Folks, we have to think differently. We started with that. We have to rise above your competitors. You've got to be smarter. You've got to make a more meaningful impact and difference to your customer. And it can't be about making the sale or knowing about the home. It's got to be really understanding the market in ways that your competition isn't doing. That's what Coast One will help you do. And again, you do this in a, co in a co branded way. It's perfect. Look, folks, we want to have exponential versus linear growth. What does this mean? Well, linear growth is 1, 2, 4, 8, 16, 32, 64. So if you would have a penny and double it for a week, you'd have 64 cents. But what if you started a week earlier? If you started a week earlier, then you'd have $81. It's a lot more, but it's not a lot of money. But what if you started a week before that? Well, now you'd have $10,000. What if you started a week before that? Well, now you'd have $1.3 What if you started just a couple of days before that? You'd have $5.3 And what if you even started just one day earlier? You'd have $10 million. Of all the doubles, which double do you want? Clearly, you want the last double, which means you want to get as many doubles as you can within a period of time. How do you do that? Start earlier. The lesson here, folks, that kills most people isn't that they lack ability. It's that they procrastinate. Procrastination is a thief that will steal from you, from your family, from your success. If you heard something that you like in this, apply it, do it. That doesn't just apply to today's talk in anything you want to be doing. That. And I want you to think about just changing your focus a little bit and elevating your focus to a higher level. It's a lesson that I learned while I was driving on the track. I like to drive cars on the track, but I like to do things and learn. I'm a forever learner. So I would get a professional driver as an instructor to take me around the track. And one really important lesson from driving school was this, was that he said to me, Barry, I notice you like many people, almost everyone, you tend to look at the car in front of you quite a bit when you're on the track. He says, you really need to look a lot further down the road. And he said, I want to show you, and I'm going to take you through this example and this very important lesson for us. He took my bottle of water and he put it down on the ground about 20 feet in front of me. And he said, okay, stare at that bottle of water. I'm going to ask you guys to all stare at the bottle of water. Now, at the corner of your eye, you probably see that there's a street sign down the road. If you're staring at the bottle of water, you can't read the street sign. But if you read the street sign, you could still see the bottle of water. And that was the aha moment. He said, Barry, if you're looking at the car in front of you, you cannot see the opportunities to pass or where the curves are to get the apex of the curve, to increase your speed. He said, but much more important than that, when you're at home with your family, God forbid, there's something happening down the road. If you're looking at the car in front of you, you're going to be dependent on their reaction time or the driver in front of theirs reaction time. He says, you give yourself so much of a better opportunity to be safe if you're looking further down the road and see it before then, but that means you got to elevate your focus. Now, if we take that to business, it's the same thing. Let's elevate our focus. We know that the media is going to bombard us with housing bubble stuff, but we know there's a slowdown. So we have to be able to balance that and explain it. 
we know that mortgage rates over the short term are going to give us a little heartburn. But there's good news on the back end of it if we explain it to our customers in the not too distant future. We know that a recession is likely very near if we're not in it. But we also know that that's not a bad thing if you're in the mortgage and real estate industry. So all of these things, or if you're a home buyer, all of these things are important for us to know, but this is a little bit of a different way of thinking. It's a more elevated advisor way of thinking. And folks, your best opportunities are still ahead of you. Even though mortgage rates have gone up a little bit, even though home prices will continue to go up, but at a slower pace, even though it's a little bit more challenging with inventory levels, I get all that, but don't think it's over. Your best opportunities are ahead of you. Here's an example. Back in 1899, this guy, his name is Charles Duell. He was head of the patent office. He says, close the patent office. Why, Mr. Duell? Why do you want to close the patent office? He says, and I quote, he said, because everything that can be invented has already been invented back in 1899. So believe me, folks, your best opportunities are ahead of you. That's why I wrote this book called Money in the Streets, which teaches you how to focus on finding opportunities. It's a bestseller, number one bestseller on Amazon. So uh, maybe take a peek at that. But Marty, I'm going to turn it back to you. I know there's a lot that we have been seeing in the chat window. I haven't been monitoring it, but I know you guys have. So I'm looking at it for the first time. And oh my goodness, there's so many nice comments. You guys are so, so kind. God bless you all and thank you. But uh, is there anything that uh, Mike or Marty uh, that we should kind of look through on the comments to address to answer some questions? Barry, the one thing I got that I wrote down while taking notes, which a lot of people had, which is it's your forever home, not your forever loan. I just, I love that comment. Thank you. Thank you guys. Thank you so, so much. Uh, we're, we're pretty close to on time, I think, which is always a good thing when you do that. Uh, any other questions uh, of me before uh, I sign off? Cause I know you guys have stuff that you have to do as well. Barry, I just want to say, and I've been in this, in this for 25 years. I've heard 25 years of really boring um, presentations. <laughs> By far, that was the best I've ever heard. Oh, thank gosh. You. thank you. That's that's so, so kind. I appreciate that more than you know. Thanks, everyone. Um, well, gosh, folks, the, I'm, I'm really touched by the kind comments here. Oh, my goodness. Uh, God bless you guys. Wishing you health, success. Um, like I said, there's good times ahead. Just remember one important thing as we go is that success really is a decision. And there's plenty of volume out there. Just have to act a little bit differently. Um, there's great opportunities ahead. Be well. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, Barry. Thanks, Barry. Bye. All right. Well, uh, Marty, <clears throat> thank you for bringing him. Um, it's always scary when you haven't heard a speaker when you put him, put him in front of your company, and and he was, I he was unbelievable. Um, you know, one of the things I'm supposed to talk about is the state of the market. He just did the best job I've ever I've ever seen in terms of the state of the market. So it's fantastic. Um, uh, we're we're going to end this up pretty fast here. I just want to thank the, uh, all of our agents for taking your time on this call, our staff for working so hard. Um, you know, we're blessed to have such a great company. It's, I was taking notes of, <clears throat> I mean, we've got people from upper Michigan to, to the Virgin Islands, all over Florida, Ohio. Um, we've got our new wonderful uh, elite Sotheby's office on this and it's just it's just a blessing to to kind of come together even if it's virtually so then <clears throat> carrie i think one thing i want to mention too is we're always kind of focused on um the work side and i think it's as we get into summer it's extremely important to focus on <clears throat> friends and family and to focus on your you know mental health so i've got a couple just bear with me a couple slides from this past weekend um, that, that little girl, uh, was a friend, friend's daughter. She climbed on me pretty much all day and called me the, she originally called me teddy bear. Then she called me chubby teddy bear. Um, and everyone got a kick out of that. <clears throat> so that's one. And then that's, uh, my son and about 30 football players. We went through about 150 hamburgers and hot dogs and um, again, just that concept of, you know, we're, we're always working, but take time with your family and friends. So I just want to mention that because it's so important. And then, <clears throat> excuse me, other than that, Carrie, if you throw up the slide um, in regards to the state of the market, 
So Barry did a, just a fantastic job. Um, in terms of where we are, uh, we're ahead of almost in every market from a market share. We're down about 19% in size, which is understandable. Uh, average sale price is up about 23.5%. So overall, <clears throat> it's still a positive. I think Barry, Barry is very correct in the fact that we're going to see an additional slowdown, uh, you know, probably throughout the fourth quarter and things will pick back up. So um, just proud of what we're doing and, and uh, we just have a great team. So I got a, a couple questions for Marty. Um, Marty, in terms of uh, qualifying for a traditional loan, that doesn't work for everybody. Do you guys have a portfolio product? Yeah, Mike, we have, we've got several of uh, niche products, portfolio capabilities within uh, Coast One. Um, I'll just highlight a couple. Most of our agents have probably heard about uh, these in office meetings, uh, hopefully that is, but one is in the jumbo space. Most banks don't like to lend in a jumbo loan, which is over 647,200, uh, I think is the, the number. Um, if the debt to income ratio is over uh, 40, 42%. And so we'll actually lend to those, those affluent borrowers up to 50% debt to income ratio. So that, that's one thing. Um, down in our Florida market, I know definitely pockets of our Western Michigan market and some in the uh, Northeast Ohio, uh, there are, are condominiums that are not conforming to Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac. So we've got some uh, portfolio product for those. Um, a big one that I've heard a lot uh, from the loan officers and some agents recently is self-employed uh, borrower uh, transactions that we do. So uh, these types of portfolio products aren't, they're not sold to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. In fact, we don't even collect income documentation. We underwrite the borrower's capability of repayment off their deposits in their bank statements. So. Uh, very, very niche item for self-employed borrowers. Um, and then investor transactions as well. There's an unlimited amount of properties that our borrowers can have, which is much different than Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac too. So but I think the point here, Mike, is that there are a lot of capabilities that our Coast One mortgage originators have access to uh, share with the agents. And the way I view our partnership is while we do a mortgage, you know, that's what the mortgage company is for. That's not our primary purpose. Our primary purpose is to give these capabilities to our realtors so we can go out and source new leads, new prospects together. So don't think about this if, if you just have a borrower or a buyer today to work with. Talk to your loan officer and use these capabilities to go out and prospect to find these potential uh, buyers. Marty, one other question. That's uh, kind of uh, dear to most realtors is how fast can you close a loan? Um, realistically, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, let me let me answer that one this way, Mike. If I look back over the last year and a half or so, um, well, since we have formed the joint venture, our application to funding timeframe has been right around thirty days, plus five days, minus five days, depending on the month and how contracts were written. Um, I'm sure most people have had a transaction that went a little bit longer than that. If there was uh, a snag with title or the seller or buyer, that sort of thing. But two transactions come to mind recently. One was uh, from Melanie Alexander in the uh, loan officer in our Ohio market. She took an FHA transaction that had, I think it was a 591 FICO score FHA loan and closed it in like 12 or 13 days. I forget the exact number of days. Another one um, from June was Anne-Marie Dugan, our loan officer in the uh, Paradise region. Um, she got wind of a transaction that was falling apart at another lender. They came to her. Anne-Marie took the application on June 1st, funded it on June 11th, and that was a 44% debt to income ratio with a 684 FICO score. So we can get them done quick when we need to, but there are a lot of components that go into speed. 
And I think being real, realistic about it's the most important. So um, that's great to hear. One last question for you, and, I, and Barry touched on this, uh, the tools that will help our agents be more productive that you guys can offer. What do you have? So Barry, I didn't know that Barry was gonna show some of them from the MBS Highway um, toolbox, if you will. Your loan officers have access um, through a subscription on all those, the cost of waiting, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I would definitely get down, um, sit down with your loan officer and share that information with each of your clients. I think some of that you can use in listing presentations. Some of it might solidify buyer loyalty to you. If you and your Coast One Mortgage Loan Officer can educate them more than, you know, an open house that they might just wander through. So um, yeah, let's let's team up and use some of these capabilities, whether it's a product capability that our competitors don't have, some of which I just described and we have plenty more, or some of these other tools, Mike. That's great, great. I think that's a, it's a wrap. Um, we really appreciate everybody's time. Uh, you know, your time's valuable. And, and I think that, at least for me, that was extremely good. So I wanna really thank Marty for setting that up. Yeah, no, no worries. And, and hopefully that uh, misspelled some of the uh, myths. Um, as Barry said, you hear in the media, there's a bright future ahead for us guys and gals and uh let's let's go find it and make it happen in the second half just like you did the first half